Well, good morning once again. In 2010, my family and I, uh, we lived in Auburn, Indiana. I was serving as the superintendent of a Christian school there, and it was just another typical Sunday morning uh, for our family. We got ready for church, and we were ready to go, and I'm standing there at the counter in our kitchen, and one of my daughters came walking in and said, Dad, something really smells bad outside. I assumed it was a skunk of some sort, and, and then my other daughter walked in and said, Dad, there, there, there's smoke at the neighbor's. And so I went outside, and, and the, the smell of fire just permeated the air. And I looked east of our house, just past our, our immediate neighbor's building. I could see the garage, the attached garage of our neighbor, and smoke just flowing, erupting out of the garage. I grabbed my phone, and, and I, I called 911, and, and I sprinted over there. And as I was getting to the front door, I, I just peeked into the window and I saw the entire family enjoying a lazy breakfast in their pajamas. And I'm pounding on the door. And I'm sure they thought I was some crazy guy. And at the same time, I'm on the phone with 911. He comes to the door, the, the man of the house, and, and he looks at me like, what in the world are you doing? I said, dude, this is probably a quote, dude, Get out of there. Your garage is on fire. He looked at me with disbelief because just 15 feet from their kitchen table was the, the door to the, to the attached garage. They couldn't smell anything. They didn't feel anything. And they didn't hear anything. And finally, he took my word for it because he can hear me also trying to talk to the 911 lady. So they moseyed on out their whole family, I think it was five of them. And then as they came around the house, they looked and they could see that literally flames were flying out of their garage, that it was a serious and dangerous situation. About an hour later, the fire was extinguished. And as the family was sitting in cars, because it was pretty chilly out, we had gotten them coats and shoes and and some food, and I'm talking to the, to the dad, and, and he said, just before I knocked the door, on the door, one of the youngest kids of the family was walking out to the garage, was getting ready to walk out to the garage to grab something from their second refrigerator. I thought to myself, what if our family didn't do something in that moment? What if we, we just sat back and, and we watched the entire thing take place? What, what, what if we just, you know what, we got our family ready, we were all looking nice for church, and, and we, we just packed into that Dodge Durango and, and went off to that little Baptist church that we attended? What, what would the life be like, maybe, of that family now? If they had opened that door, maybe the auction would have rushed in and, and who knows what, 
would have happened. Well, today we're, we're, we're starting a new sermon series on prayer. And as I studied and I prepped for this message all week, in fact, I, I, it was almost like I prepped for two messages because I, I started in one direction and I went another direction. I was personally overwhelmed with my lack of prayer. I was overwhelmed with it. In fact, I, I, I was humbled at the fact of, that I really don't get on my knees nearly enough. I, I, I thought, compared to my, some of my colleagues, I almost never get on my knees and beg God. And I'm not, I'm not here to try to compare myself or, or to teach you to compare yourself, but it's humbling. It's humbling. And I'm guessing maybe you might be like me, and you think to yourself, how much am I really praying? I don't know if it was Martin Luther or, or somebody else like that said, uh, I, I am so busy today. I am so busy today that I only have three hours to pray. Scripture is full of, of times when people prayed. Times when people uh, sought out God. And, and it, I just found it interesting when I was studying to see how individuals would pray for large groups of people. Boldly and confidently. I thought about, does God answer prayers? Does he answer prayers? Does he answer prayers when people are praying for somebody who's lost, meaning someone doesn't have salvation? Is he answering those? I, I, I have a, a friend of mine who, who was saved when he was in his 20s, and he prayed for 30 years after that for his mom and dad. And after whatever appointed time, his mom and dad bowed their knee to the Lord. And then the rest of the family followed suit. In Scripture, are there, are there examples of that? Are there examples of where people are praying for the lost? I think of Moses. Remember Moses, after all the people were rebelling, after they already went started their exodus? And Moses, he said... Pray for their salvation. Please don't hold this against them. First Samuel, we just, we just went over a study in that months ago. Remember the great prophet Samuel? After the, the people said, please give us a king, give us a king. He said, okay. Samuel said, in Samuel 12, 1 Samuel 12, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done. Psalm 25, 22 says, redeem Israel, O God. The psalmist is just praying, please redeem Israel out of all of their troubles. How about Stephen, the first martyr? Do you remember what, what he was doing? He, after he gave this, this phenomenal message 
people picked up the stones and they were chucking it at him to kill him. Acts 7 tells us the story. It says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then fallen to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Unbelievable. Praying for the people that are killing him, that are murdering him. Forgive them. How about Jonah? It's an interesting story. Bill and I had this conversation earlier in the week about Jonah. You guys know Jonah, right, kids? Jonah and the whale. Well, Jonah, he, he, he didn't want anything. When, when God called him, right at the very beginning of the, of the book of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come upon, come up before me. But did Jonah go to Nineveh? No, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He, he went the opposite direction. Kids, you guys know where he went? It's, it's worth 20,000 points. Oh, I hear whispering from mom and dad. Tarshish. Tarshish, and, and, and see, Tarshish was 2,500 miles the opposite direction. It, it was literally the most remote place he can get away from Nineveh. Why? Why was Jonah running away? Was it because he, he was scared of the people of Nineveh? No. Well, was it because he, he didn't know what to say? No. Was it because he didn't like the Assyrians that lived there? Yeah. He didn't like the people. He, he, he just couldn't stand the people. In Jonah 4, I think it's 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Listen to this. This is what Jonah says. This is why he didn't want to go. O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, get this, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, there was a terrible thing that happened. A terrible thing that happened. All the people in Nineveh repented and found grace in God. It was terrible in the eyes of Jonah. He didn't want them to be given grace. There were 600,000 to a million people in, in Nineveh, people estimate. And they all bowed their knee to God. But Jonah didn't want to. He didn't want them because he didn't like the people. You see, and that's what it's all about. It's all about God. God wants all people to repent. He wants all people saved. That's what we're going to read today. God wants you and me and every single Christian that he wants us to pray for the people that are lost that they have salvation. That, that, that's the whole point of the message. I could be done right now. Maybe some of you want me to be done. That is everything. He wants us to pray for the lost, that they can have salvation, and that we don't hold, uh, hold it against any person for their, their race, what they're currently 
who they're currently trusting in and their religion, their sexuality, the sins that they have committed. No one. There's no one that God doesn't want. Just like the fire in Auburn, Indiana. We need to get on our knees and we need to pray that real action happens so people could be saved. As Stephen was saying his prayer, as he's falling to the ground, as he's dying, another rock hits his head, something hits alongside his face, and he knows he's, he's going to die soon. And he prays for the lost. You know who was in that crowd? Saul. Saul was in that crowd. The author of the letter that we're going to write today, or we're going to read today. And I believe that that's exactly what, what Paul's writing to Timothy. I think that's why he's writing to Timothy. The Holy Spirit wants our prayers to be evangelistic. And I have a hunch that we may not be as evangelistic as we might think. I have a hunch that many of us, including me, we lay our heads on the pillow at night, man, we just feel comfortable. We're not putting ourselves in the position of the lost because we're held in God's hands. And that's a great thing. That is a great thing. But it's not a great thing to not hurt for the lost. So let's look at the text. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So if you're able and willing, would you join me in standing as I read today's scripture? 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read the first eight verses. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Heavenly Father, can you change us today? Change me today? Help us to seek you. Pray for those that are lost. We pray, if we're lost, that you will teach us right in this very moment, in this very place. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've got five quick points, and there really are five quick points. Um, after that, we're going to take some time to pray as a congregation. I know you guys spent some time last week in prayer. Prayer is essential. It's essential for every believer. It's essential for every church. It's the foundation of all that we do is speak to our Father. First, I believe the Scripture is teaching us that praying for the lost needs to be a priority. It needs to be an absolute priority. If you, if you look at this letter and you see right at the very beginning, Paul tells Timothy, first of all, 
first of all. This, this isn't the last resort. This is the thing that he wants to say, this is a priority. This is what you should be praying about, and you need to be praying for the loss. It's absolutely crucial, and it needs to be done before you're worrying about yourself. There's the old acronym, JOY, J-O-Y, Jesus, Others, Yourself. And the focus, again, is, is Christ first, then others, and then yourself. Second point, praying for the lost should involve great diversity. Great diversity. Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Before addressing the diversity part, I want to I talk about a couple things. First of all, I urge. I urge, Paul says. I mean, this is, this is something that he wants you to take major point of. He, he wants you to make sure that, that this is a, an important part of, of your uh, evangelism. That your prayer is, is not just fluff. That it's uh, evangelistic in, in nature. These are serious things when you're asking for eternal responses from the Heavenly Father. Paul then uses four words. He uses four words. The four words, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and then he uses thanksgiving. Those first three words could be translated into prayer. They all mean prayer, but for some reason the Holy Spirit had Paul include three different words in this passage. So we're going to just examine those real quick. First of all, supplication. Supplication is referring to the lacking of something. If you're lacking something, if you're deprived of, of something that you absolutely need. Second word is prayer. And all through Scripture, when the word prayer is used, it's talking, it's focused on God and on God alone. The third word he uses is intercessions. Intercessions. And this not only means that, that you're communicating on behalf of the other person, and maybe I've mentioned this before, but you're actually putting yourself in the position of that person and interceding for them on their behalf. Which, which is absolutely tremendous to think about. To think about that when you're praying for somebody who's lost, that you are getting, you're, you're trying to get to the point where you can understand and empathize with where they are in their life, with their situation. Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus and, and how he continuously intercedes on our behalf. He isn't in heaven on a sabbatical. He, he's not just relaxing. No, he's continuously interceding on our behalf. In contrast, Satan is, is accusing us. He's, he's pointing to our sins constantly to God, just as he did with Job. Jesus, as Romans 5.10 says, He's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And as we'll read in a short time, Jesus is our only mediator between us and God. There's no mediator besides Jesus. Not, not Mary, not priests or, or the Pope, not any former saint, 
not any angel, only Jesus Christ. Jesus experienced, he has experienced our pain. He's experienced our suffering. He, he has put himself in our position. He understands our guilt and our shame. And that's, that's amazing to think about, that he understands all of those things. Aren't you thankful that Jesus has done that for us already and he continues to do that? I know that I am. The last of the four words that Paul is urging is thanksgiving. So, so basically, this is how I read the scripture when I look at the words and I, I see their definitions of what they really are. This is how I would read it. Paul says, I urge you to understand that there are people who are deprived of the truth, who are in desperate need, that you talk directly to God Almighty, and that you ask Jesus Christ to intercede on your behalf, of the other person's behalf, for their salvation. And in the end, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God, the Father, for, he, for what he has done or not done in all of his splendor. So Paul's telling Timothy to pray. Who is he telling to pray? He says, be made for all people. Be made for all people. That's amazing. He's, he's explaining that prayers are to be lifted to the Lord for everyone who isn't saved. Think of the difference. Most of us, we, we, we pray, and we'll sit around the kitchen table, and, and we'll pray, and, and we'll bless our food, right? And, and we'll, we'll pray for uh, uh, that we have a good day. Maybe we're praying for... Uh, the dog got sick, and, and, and down the road, Susie Q, she's been battling with the flu. We pray for people that are, that are struggling with cancer. We pray for trouble that in, in our life. Am I mocking these prayers? Absolutely not. Uh, we're to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Uh, we're, we're to never cease praying. But I believe that Paul's teaching Timothy that there's a different level. That there's a, a different focus of prayer. And praying for the lost is crucial. We see right now in our nation, and as we've seen for decades and maybe centuries, that there are divides in colors. There are divides in, in religion. There are divides in, in all kinds of areas. Maybe, maybe even in political parties. And we've got to somehow eliminate those divides. We, we, we look at Jonah, and we see that there was a divide that he did not want to go into. He did not want to preach to. Scripture's teaching us today that there are no boundaries. There's no boundaries that God doesn't want to reach. He wants all people to be saved, and he wants us to pray for all lost souls, no matter... If, if there's people who are serving for ISIL or people who are serving pancakes at IHOP or people who are serving us tickets as we speed through IDOT road construction, we, we have souls that we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for the people that have harmed us too. 
people that have caused havoc in our life. We need to be praying for their souls. Pray for his or her salvation. And don't stop praying. Verse 4 tells us that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. Am I, am I making this point clear? All people. God desires all people to be saved. He wants us to be praying for all people who are lost. Included in these prayers need to be those in authority. Need to be those in authority. And it's interesting that, that Paul is telling Timothy about this at this time because who is in charge at this time? Who? who? Nero. Nero was in charge at this time, and, and history tells us that Nero, uh, th- there was a great fire, and they were all blaming Nero about it. And so Nero didn't want blame on him. He wanted to blame the Christians. And so he got some Christians, and he started torturing them, and, and he got them to, to confess and to tell other, uh, say, hey, yeah, other Christians were, were actually started the fire too. And that just gave Nero what he needed. It gave him his ammunition. And so he went out and he started gathering up all the Christians and he started killing them. He started doing horrendous things to them, including uh, putting them on stakes and using them as, as their torches for uh, their nighttime events. Horrendous things. And yet, Paul's telling Timothy to pray for those in authority, to pray for the kings. He pulled a, a specific group out, just as an example. Even pray for them. We, we need to be on our knees praying for those who are in authority over us. Are you praying for those in authority over you? We often pray for the president. We pray for congressmen and, and other people. But are you praying for their salvation? Because that's what the scripture is talking about. Praying for their salvation. What if Christians in the United States, just in the United States, they spent all of their energy and all their efforts, instead of complaining on Facebook, instead of talking bad about them, uh, about our leaders, what if they spent all of that energy and all that time on their knees praying for their salvation? Praying for their salvation. I love politics. This is a reminder from the Holy Spirit that I needed to hear. And it's interesting to see, right after Paul says, for kings and all who are in high positions, he explains that if these people are saved, it may, it may allow us, as followers of Jesus Christ, to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The scripture isn't teaching us uh, to pray that, that certain people are removed from office, or, or, or that certain people uh, who are in power, that they profess that, that they only could be Christians. Scripture's teaching us that no matter who's in authority, they've been given that power. And I could go into the scripture that talks about God has, has placed them into power. But he's teaching us today that we need to be praying for their salvation. Focus on their salvation. Our fourth point is what it's all about, though. Our fourth point is what it's all about, that we need to rely on God's ability. We need to rely on God, not ourselves. 
Verse 3 through 5 of the scripture says, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God. God is the one who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to put our trust that God will take care of his business. And that's hard for us to do because we want to be action people. We want to be the people to take care of everything, to make it happen. We spend so much time, we worry about uh, all the changes that need to happen on this planet that we forget that about the creator who designed the third rock from the sun and, and understand that he's in charge, that, that it's all his. It, it is him that our attention should be towards. It is him. We need to rely on him to be our helper. Hebrew says it extremely well. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When we're on our knees praying, trusting that God will do as he will, our life changes, actually. What do you think Stephen was, would think? I wonder if Stephen knows, if Stephen has knowledge, that as he was dying, praying for those that were there to forgive them, if he knew that Saul, the one overseeing everything, that he'd be one of the greatest apostles, that, that he, would, he would write so many books ordained by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, just amazing. When we lean on Jesus Christ, we know that we can't do it. We're just giving it to him. It's all his. That's the beauty, is we don't have any of the Repercussions. It's all, we give it to God. We beg God to take control of it. Finally, praying for the lost is done with common unity. Common unity. I could make up words as a pastor, it's a rule. Verses 7 and 8 say, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place that men should be praying, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Paul's talking to Timothy about the elders of the church. We see that later on in the scripture. We understand that and how they should come together and how their, their common focus should be on the salvation of the people, on the salvation of the lost. It, it doesn't say that men should come together and, and, and talk about to take care of business stuff and, and, and to deal with life issues. and Those are just standards and normal responsibilities that have to happen. But the focus, the focus that the scripture has is that we're to strive in the quest for those that are lost. For those that need to be saved. Are we wanting all people to be saved? I mean, I've said this probably 20 times in the message already. Are, are we wanting to put so much focus on that that we're willing to put it above our own prayer needs? 
Are we so hurting inside about those that are lost? That's what was convicting. That's why I was so convicted is that I don't know if I'm hurting so much for those that are lost. I don't know if I am. I remember a guy in college. And this guy was crazy. The things he did, I can't repeat in church. But, but it, he was so far from serving the Lord, so far from wanting to be with God, yet God drove me to my knees about that gentleman. I just prayed and prayed and prayed for him. Not out of worry, out of a strong push from the Holy Spirit that I need to pray for his salvation. Now, I don't know where he is now or, or what's going on in his life. But that's what I want all the time. I, I, I'm begging the Holy Spirit to push me that I'm hurting for the lost. How about the people here in Shabana? Man, I, I am so convicted that I am not hurting enough about the people here in Shabana, around our church. We, we could assume in this, in this tiny village of just under a thousand people that there are a lot of people lost. Are we hurting for them? Are we praying for them? I'll ask Jacob to come up here with me. As a, as a congregation, I think that we need to pray. I think we need to pray for, for Shabana, and, and we need to pray that God will do a work in our heart for those that are lost. We're called to, to truly go to our knees and beg God to save the people. We need to pray for our leaders, too. Not that they become great. You know, odds are it's going to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton will be the president. Odds are one of them will. It doesn't matter. We need to pray for their salvation. I don't know where they are in their search and understanding of Jesus Christ. That needs to be our focus. Again, I'm not saying to be ignorant of of life situations and ignorant of of taking care of business in in our own lives. Because by all means, Paul, he took care of business in his own life and and he wanted Timothy as well to to function within the society. And is your focus the people that are lost and praying for them? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a time where we're just going to pray as a congregation. And I'm going to ask that you just... Jump in and and, and pray out loud. Pray for the lost. And and at some point, I'll I'll close our time of prayer. But there may be some awkward times of silence. And that's okay because as one body here, as one congregation, as a people that are serving Jesus Christ, I want you to be praying in your seats too, even if it's not out loud. 
Let our, let our prayers be heard by God the Father. He hears us in secret. He hears us in public. He hears us in groups. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we beg, we beg that you will save those around us, that you will give opportunities to preach your word to those that are surrounding this church, that those that are surrounding this community, we pray for Indian Creek School, uh, that a revival happens. And I know that uh, the incoming sixth grade class has a lot of people that are wanting to serve you and to to worship you. We pray for that group that you will just ignite in them an opportunity to share your gospel in ways that are real, in ways that are effective, in ways that will change lives. We pray that your, your word is shared because we understand that it never returns void. We are so thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach your word, to sing your word, to speak your word with the understanding that we won't be held with a charge. But God, give us the charge to move forward with it, uh, to preach it in ways that will change lives, that will bring people to know you, to love you, and to worship you. And Lord, we're not seeking more people to climb into this church and into these chairs. We'd be thankful for that. Our focus, God, is on their salvation, on their walk with you on their understanding of what you have done, just as we read today in Philippians, to understand that you, Jesus, gave everything, sacrificed everything for them. Would you change us right now as a people, as a people that are in love with you, that want to serve you, that want to worship you? Would you change us so we are uh, evangelists, that on every day, that is on our focus, that is in our prayers, that we want to preach your name, preach your salvation. We want you to have all the glory too, God. We don't want any of the glory. Get us out of the way so you could be glorified in everything. Would you change us? Change us right in this very moment, right in our very seats, right where we're standing. Change us, God. Change us. We do love you. We are so thankful for your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice and the resurrection. We're thankful for the salvation that you've offered for all. We just pray. We pray that we can walk in your truth. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys would stand with us as we sing our last song together. Here I am.